bring our attention to the things of God. And uh, this morning, I pray that the Spirit would do the teaching, that whatever my friends hear, they hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm guessing that most of you had a stuffed animal at some point in your life. For many of us, it was a, a little one that we could sleep with. Uh, how many of you had some form of a bear? You had a bear, you sleep. Okay, a lot of bears, yeah. Mine, mine was a dog. I had two little dogs, and uh, one was named Pluto, and the other one apparently was named Rusty, but I couldn't say Rusty, so I called him Rurry. So I have a Rurry, both of whom I still own. How many of you had, let's see, a lot of people have uh, bunnies. Did you have a bunny? And did you very creatively call it Bunno? <laughs> no Bunnos? All right. Well, how many of you had lambs? Anybody have a lamb? Oh, we had a few lambos. Lambos. Well, I, I, I'm holding up a, a lamb here this morning. But not all lambs were, you know, cute little cuddly things that we had in our bedrooms or out in the, in the real world thriving in some sort of a flock. And it's those that I want to talk about, the ones that didn't thrive in the flock, the ones that were problematic. In fact, they're called bummer lambs. Bummer lambs. When we use the word bummer, we usually are referring to something that, that's disappointing, something that doesn't quite fit. It's kind of unpleasant. We don't really like it. And when the term bummer is attached to lambs, it's actually not talking about the furry little cute ones that we all have as stuffed animals. It's, it's referring to a real-life situation that happens in a flock. When a mom, they call them ewes, when a ewe has a, a set of twins, for example, and she knows she's not going to produce enough claustrum, am I saying that right, to, to survive, or for the two uh, twins to survive, she'll kind of kick one of them to the curb. And the one she kicks to the curb, they call the bummer lamb. Or maybe there's something inherently wrong with her, and she knows she's not going to produce enough milk, she'll ostracize one. Or maybe, maybe she senses that the, 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 the lamb uh, is got something wrong with it physically and isn't going to make it, and so she'll ostracize it. In some cases, the, the mom will actually kick them or, or hit them with some, uh, one of her, one of her uh, limbs. At any rate, they are thoroughly and totally rejected, and it never changes. Once the mama makes that determination, a bummer lamb is a bummer lamb. On a, on a large farm, which is where most of them are raised now, there might be maybe 3,000 lambs out there. And out of that 3,000, in a year, somewhere around three to 10 of them are gonna be bummer lambs. They're gonna be ostracized. They're gonna be rejected. And actually, when you look at them, because they're starting to die without being uh, properly fed, their, their body temperature uh, sinks very quickly, and, and they start to lower the heads. And a bummer lamb almost looks like their, their little neck is broken, but the neck isn't broken. It's the heart that's broken. They're totally rejected. They're stuck off by themselves. Unless, unless, unless the shepherd, in surveying his flock, maybe of 3,000 uh, sheep, notices the bummer lamb, notices the one with the head all the way down, notices the one that's been rejected. And if that's true, what will happen then is that shepherd will, will lean over, go identify it, lean over, and pick it up. 
And once he picks it up, the very first thing he's got to do is get that body temperature up. So he's peeling off a shirt or a sweatshirt or a jacket, and he's wrapping that little baby lamb in that jacket. Excuse me, in that jacket. He's on it, and on his way uh, to, to go back to the house, he's got to get it in somewhere. He's looking for a clean cardboard box, and he's looking for a heat lamp like we had over our food this morning. And while he's running to get to the house with that little lamb tucked in his shirt or his sweatshirt, he's sticking one of his fingers really deep down in the mouth, trying to get that little bummer lamb to start sucking. Because if it doesn't suck, then he's going to have to, he's going to, have to take a tube of some kind to get some nourishment in it. But if it'll start sucking on his finger while he's running to the house, then once he gets there, he can start feeding it, hand feeding it from a bottle. And baby lambs, bummer lambs, baby lambs, they need to be fed on a very regimented schedule, not unlike our, our children. But these lambs need to be fed six times a day, all day, all night. So for at least a month, the good shepherd that spotted this bummer lamb has got this baby lamb in his house in a box and every four hours, all the way through the night, all the way through the day, he's hand-feeding this lamb. He's being very careful to wash out those bottles and, and those nipples because if, if those, those little things get uh, you know, pieces of, of milk in it, it turns into bacteria and they can't handle it. So he is, he is doing all these chores to make sure that this lamb maintains a certain temperature and, and, and eats on a regular basis for the first month. The second month, it only goes to four times a day. It isn't until the third month until there's any hope that there's a schedule where they might eat outside of the nighttime hours. That, that feeding, that care, that concern, it's all going on in addition to their regular duties. So this farmer or this shepherd, he's fighting to save the life of this bummer lamb on top of everything else he was doing normally. So it's not surprising that that care and that attention is going to create an unbelievable bond between that bummer lamb and that shepherd. That little guy, he knows that shepherd. He knows what he smells like. He knows what he sounds like. He knows his voice intimately. He can sense his mood and anticipate his actions. They spent day and night together for months. And that shepherd has poured his love into that bummer lamb. And the lamb has loved him right back. Once that bummer lamb is old enough, the, the shepherd knows he needs to be reintroduced to the flock. And he will do that. But what happens is, is that particular bummer lamb never again takes his eyes off the shepherd. They may be out roaming the hills, but that little bummer lamb, he knows exactly where that shepherd is. And that shepherd and he have a special relationship it also is interesting that the bummer lambs, because they've known that shepherd so intimately, they often become leaders of the flock. They started out as a bummer. But because of their relationship with that shepherd, God used that in their little, their little development to move them to a place where they know what's going on in maybe a more intimate way and become leaders of the flock. Now you say, that's very interesting, Sherry. We've got a little lesson on sheep today. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that I am pretty confident that there are any number of bummer lambs sitting in this room today. 
I don't know that we need to identify ourselves. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sherry. I got kicked to the curb when I was a kid. But I am guessing, for whatever reason, a lot of us never received the kind of nurturing and caring that we needed to be fully developed and fully ready to thrive in a very convoluted world that we live in. And if I were to ask you in a quiet moment when no one else was li listening, I'm, I'm guessing that a fair amount of us would say that we're pretty convinced that something's missing inside of us, that there is a hole. For some, it's a little pinhole. For some, it's a little larger. For some, it's gigantic. Maybe, maybe your childhood stunk. Again, we're taking no inventory. We're not going to ask for a raise of hands. We've got a couple of mothers in the crowd today. We don't want to do that. <laughs> but maybe you didn't grow up in that, in that leave it to beaver, if you know what that reference is, kind of home. Maybe you didn't have a father who encouraged and supported you all along your childhood. Maybe, maybe your mom disappointed you right, right from the beginning. Or maybe you disappointed your mom right from the beginning. In some cases, you might have been abused somewhere along the way, physically, sexually, emotionally. The scars in that case are real, and they're very painful. But you might have been abused in ways that the scars are not as evident. There might have been some emotional things going on. Maybe you were just plain ignored. I have a friend who grew up in a very vanilla home, in a very vanilla situation, had a very vanilla marriage, spent most of her life being ignored. These are bummer lambs. Somehow or another, we ended up lacking the emotional and, and important building blocks that, that create us and make us whole. Something gets missing. It causes us to bump our heads a lot or fall into holes when we're not watching very carefully. Maybe there's a hole in your heart that you just can't seem to fill. Now we try, in our culture especially, we try to fill our lives and those missing little holes, or those holes that have missing little things, we try to fill it with all kinds of things. We try to fill it with achievements. We try to fill it with accomplishments, but, but nonetheless, it still aches. Maybe, maybe you've tried some of the stuff to, to, to deal with the ache, you know, the, the stuff the, the world offers, like alcohol and drugs and, and sex and, and, and body image extremes and all the other things that, that are suggested that will that will take away the sting of maybe being a bummer lamb. But if we look close, a whole bunch of us still have our heads hanging. Now, it doesn't show all the time, and we're pretty good at hiding it. But those who know us and love us can see it. Maybe what we've tried to do is recreate a family that we didn't have as, as children. So we're looking to our, our, our husbands, and we're looking to our children to fill in all those holes. And the problem is, Maybe they're disappointing us now. Maybe they're just a regular husband. Maybe they're just regular children. And nothing that we throw in there is seeming to make us whole. I thought a lot about that before I came to speak to you today, and I wanted to say this. There really is a very positive message to that lamb. Because there is great news that like the bummer lamb. You and I have a shepherd who is actively looking to meet our needs. He's personal. 
He's loving. He's protective. He's individual. In fact, in John chapter 10 in our Bible, he goes to describe himself, and Jesus does it this way. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one that's looking. I'm looking for the bummer lambs. I'm not just out here with all the guys that are doing it right or doing it well or, or seem to be thriving. I'm picking out the ones that are not. Maybe just for a season or maybe for a, a pattern in your life. But he's looking. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That guy right there, he's as content as he could be. He may have started out as a bummer lamb, but look at that. In Psalm uh, 23, the, the, the lamb starts talking. In John 10, the shepherd's doing the talking. In, in Psalm 23, we start to hear from the sheep. You know this psalm. It starts out with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or some translations say, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. We already know they have no sense of direction. That was one of the quiz questions. So a shepherd cannot drive sheep. He can't say, we're going up the hill. Yo, go, here we go. <whistles> Cowboys go behind and whip and make noises and drive cattle. You can't drive sheep. And you certainly can't drive a bummer sheep. They have to be led. The Lord is my shepherd. You might be sitting here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that would give you that kind of feeling. And I hope that you'll look at this as a, a door that's opened up to an amazing new season for your entire life. That, that thinking about being a bummer lamb will cause you to say, I want that. I want to have a shepherd. I, I want to I see his personal and intentional and relentless care. Back in John 10, one of the things Jesus says about himself is he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, a good shepherd, when he brings them out of the pen in the morning, he'll make a three-sided pen out of some wood or whatever he's got, and then he'll lay down in front. He's the fourth side. When he gets up in the morning and it's time for the sheep to come out of that pen, he stands with his legs wide open and he brings them out one by one. And as he brings them out, he puts his hands down between his legs and he starts feeling every single lamb that comes out of that pen. Starts up in the ears, works his way down the neck, checking around the legs, check around the hindquarter, looking for a wound or something stuck or something that's going to cause them some pain. There's not a single sheep that gets out in the morning without the intensity of the shepherd carrying. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Every single morning I pass through him on my way to whatever my day holds. <clears throat> it's like a good mom that stands at the door to the garage every morning as kids are piling in the car. And she gives them the once over, right? Hat, or uh, shirt, check, pants, check, shoes, check, <laughs> homework, check, backpack, check, lunch, check, right? I used to love it when the mom would drive up, open the door at Sunnybrook and holler at me, he doesn't have his shoes! <laughs> and I'd holler back, don't go get him! Make him suffer through the consequences of not having got his shoes. But a good mom does that, and the great shepherd certainly does that. The next phrase in Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down. 
in green pastures. I love that phrase. If you're bullheaded like me, don't you love it? He makes me. He doesn't give me three options. Well, Sherry, do you really want to? This would be good for you. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He knows me. He knows when I need rest. The average mom today that works outside of the home as well as in the home works 98 hours a week. It's about 14 hours a day. You need rest. And not just naps. They're great. I really like naps, by the way. When you semi-retire, that's the thing you add to your schedule. <laughs> naps. But there's all kinds of other rest that's so necessary. The kind that, that, that speaks to your soul and speaks to your relationships. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It says, he, he leads me beside quiet waters. The old KJV version of it said still waters. You know why? Because sheep are so skittish that, that water trickling over the top of rocks in a creek or in a river scare them to death. That sound will, will freak them out. So what a good shepherd does is he recognizes that. He goes over to the stream and he dams it up. He takes rocks and moves them around until there's a little pool that, that happens. And the splash, splash is taken care of. And now the, the, the silly old sheep will go and actually drink because it's quiet. It's not scary. That shepherd cares for that lamb by creating quiet waters. He's aware of my fears. He's aware of the things that cause me anxiety and frustration. And he's aware of yours. And he meets each of them with his grace. Doesn't necessarily make him go away, but he promises to be right there, holding you through the entire experience. He restores my soul, Psalm 23 says. That's a phrase that, that's a technical phrase for sheep, and it's, a, it's the process of being cast down. If you're cast down, you find yourself four legs up. You, you fall, you trip, you stumble, and when you do, you get on your back. And because there's so much wool and it's so heavy and they're so dumb and the way they're created, they cannot get up on their own. As I've struggled with some of my own mobility issues, I, I, I think I'm cast down about half the time now. It's tough getting up. And what will happen, though, is not will, will he lay there kind of being, you know, embarrassed, I'm cast down, and everybody else is moving on. What happens is the gases in a, in a sheep's body build up. And when those gases build up, what ends up happening is they asphyxiate. They will die on their back, legs in the air, unless, unless the great shepherd restores their soul. And he doesn't just go over and pick them up, write them up, throw them on their four legs and go, go. Because if he does that, the blood won't get to the right place. He sticks them back between his legs and starts massaging down each one of his limbs until there's enough strength for that, that lamb to keep going. He restores my soul. He talks about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's not a table like this kind of a table. It's a table like a, like a mesa. Like outside in Arizona, you know, the flat top uh, little mountains, a mesa. They'll, they'll, they'll take their herds up there and, and, and let them eat for a, a season of the year. But a good shepherd will not just lead them up there because who knows what's there. In certain parts of the country or, or, or certain parts of the world, there are predators. For example, around Israel, there's little vipers. 
and they, and they gra grab up and get a hold of the sheep and then they kill them. So the first thing a good shepherd will do is he'll go up to that table and he'll prepare it. He'll walk the entire length and breadth of it looking for any predators, the, the snakes or whatever. He'll pull any poisonous weeds because sheep are so stupid they'll eat them as if it was a good thing. How many things have you done in your life? Gobbled them up and they were dumb. <laughs> But the good shepherd, he goes out before that sheep and he prepares that table, poisonous weeds gone, predators gone. He looks for holes in the ground where they're going to stumble and get themselves cast up. And he'll fill them in. Next phrase is, you anoint my head with oil. In the Bible, oil is often as a, a, a picture or an indicator of medicine. They made their own medicine. They took various kinds of oil and they made medicine. In, a, in the case of a sheep... One of the things they're most likely to die from is an infestation of, of icky bugs that get in their nose and their mouth. And so oil would be used by a good shepherd to smear all over the face of a sheep to keep the bugs away. My, my, my shepherd knows just what I'm inclined to, to pursue, what will get me in trouble, what will cause me to stumble, what will take away my joy. And he smears the oil of the precious Holy Spirit in my life to be a, a guardian against the things that can hurt me. It's also a picture in the Bible. Oil is also a picture of a, of a kind of conflict resolver. It is true that, that sheep often, boom, butt heads. And a good shepherd, knowing that conflict is part of the human experience, smears a wad full of oil all on the top of the head of his sheep. So when they come together and boom, what happens? They slide off. There isn't the, the impact. Again, the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer treating us in a way to minimize the conflicts that are going to be part of our lives. He's out to minimize the wounds, some of which we, we inflict on ourselves. My cup overflows. This might be my second favorite phrase in this, in this song. My cup overflows. It's not just that there's barely enough. Just getting by. Becoming a believer in Jesus Christ and becoming a sheep and sitting in that shepherd's life is not just getting by. Well, it's better than that thing. It's better than being one of those. No, 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 no. Our cup overflows. Didn't you as a kid, just to drive your mother crazy, sit at the kitchen table and fill it up to just see how far, high above the glass you could get that little bubble and never stop, just one more bubble and one more bubble and one more bubble and my cup overflows. I don't have to just get by in my life. I have access to, because of the shepherd, great reservoirs to fill and, and, and content me with the things that are important for my life. It's a, a place where your cup overflows is a place of satisfaction, uh, with, with relief. It's more than enough. Don't even have to think about it. I remember uh, one of my uh, knee surgeries, I've had five knee replacements. Three on the left and two on the right, and we're not doing any more just to even them up, so that's it. But anyway, um, and one of the surgeries, I was in the, in the hospital for four or five days, and it was getting ready to 
be kicked out and go home, and one of the nurses messed up and did not get the pain medicine to me in a timely manner. I have a very high threshold for pain, but I got berserko. And uh, by the time the surgeon came in, I, that was it. I was, I don't know what I was gonna do. I was doing nasty things to people in the hospital. I don't know. <laughs> my mind, the creative nastiness that exists in my mind knows no bounds, so I was, whatever. And he was coming in to sign the papers to send me home, and he, and he had the pain medicine actually in a, in a container. He was gonna hand them to me. And I was wigging out. I said, no. And finally, he took the medicine, and he took my hand, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Sherry, this is more than enough. That will not happen again. I promise you, let's count them. Open the top and pour them out. Two for today, two for tomorrow, two for this. Oh, okay. Put them back in the bottle. That's the picture of my cup overflows. However much you think you need for whatever scenario you're in now, your cup has the potential to overflow when you tuck in. Last couple of phrases of that psalm say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That is a very poor translation of that, of that expression. In the original language, which is Hebrew for the Old Testament, surely goodness and mercy, it's not shall follow me. It shall pursue me. Follow me is kind of passive. You know, they're hanging around behind me. Maybe they show up. Maybe they don't. But pursuing me, that's like a dog beelining you. Surely goodness and mercy are on my tail. They are pursuing me. Goodness, mercy, all the stuff that the shepherd provides for his bummer sheep is attacking not leaving, cannot be swatted away, cannot be ignored. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. And what's the net, the net result? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I belong. A bummer sheep desires above all to belong. Moms cast it away. The flock wants nothing to do with them. For whatever reason, you may be feeling in your life now a little or a lot like a bummer lamb, but I'm telling you, the great news for today is you're going to be able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That shepherd is going to be on you like stink on a dog. He wants you. Now, a bummer lamb will die, will outright die, if a shepherd doesn't pursue them. And you and I, as, as human beings and bummers, will die a thousand deaths too if our personal shepherd isn't earnestly and doggedly pursuing us. But the incredible news for the morning is he is. He is. Jesus Christ became my personal shepherd 52 years ago last two weeks ago, 52 years, this bummer sheep has been wandering around through the flock. At no time did I ever feel like the shepherd didn't have his eye on me. You may have come this morning and your head was hanging a little low, and I want you to go home encouraged. I want you to know that your heavenly father knows just what temperature you need which size box, which heating lamp works best, 
which kind of feeding stuff you're going to take to the best. And he's calling out your name in a sweet and personal and intimate way so that you can respond to his voice. One of my favorite verses of the New Testament is found in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse number 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons or daughters of God. Just think about it. Behold, what manner of love that shepherd gave to that bummer sheep. I want to I end by, by telling you just a, a silly little thing that's between me and my, my, my own dad. Uh, we talk two or three times a, a week. He's in Alabama. And uh, when we're at the end of our phone conversations, I always say, well, I love you, Daddy. And he responds and says, I love you too. And then he'll pause and he'll say, you know why? And there'll be a laugh on my part and another little pause. And he'll say, because you've always been my favorite. <laughs> I have two brothers. They know he says this to me. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. I love you, too. You know why? Because you've always been my favorite. Ladies, I think the Lord Jesus is saying that to you today. So close your eyes with me for just for a moment. Sit real still. I'm wondering, can you hear him calling your name? Can you hear him reciting so affectionately, you're my favorite? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the picture of a lamb that got kicked to the curb and picked up by you. And those of us who've walked with you for a long time know what it feels like, even, even in the little things, to be able to turn and anticipate your arms and your care because we've always been your favorite. Father, take this message and drive it home in our hearts today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well. At the end of the time when I teach, I almost always say, well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you. And it would have been no fun without you. Let me just uh, one more time uh, remind you that uh, we do have Bible study Tuesday mornings, 845 for everybody. Thursday mornings, 845 for those that are new to the Bible. And uh, if for some reason you can't make it live on Tuesday mornings, there's a Zoom class Tuesday night. If you're more interested in that or you wanted to go to the class with your husband, for example, uh, if you'll email me, swirl at sunnybrook.com, I'll be glad to add you to the Zoom list. So what else am I? Oh, I, we're going to be dismissed, and we need a little help. All Stony Brook events, we need people to stay behind. We always need people to put chairs away. That's how school events go, by the way. And so if you're not in a big hurry, hang around and give the ladies a, a, a hand. Let's go one more time for Candace and Denise for their incredible help. What am I forgetting? Anything? Am I done? Thank you for coming. It's great to see you guys. Have a great day.